Welcome to Meldon Law and Friends. I'm Jeffrey Meldon, back from uh, traveling around Europe. Uh, I've been gone for three weeks. Uh, I think our engineer, uh, Evan, would know better than me. But uh, any three, anyhow, uh, I think that uh, this is going to be one of the more exciting shows that we've had on uh, Meldon Law and Friends. Uh, before we get into our show, I want to mention to you, we've got some ticket giveaways. Uh, let's see. Uh, women's softball, May 5th. I'm sorry, May 6th and 7th. We're playing uh, Mercer, and uh, we're starting to uh, give away tickets now. It's amazing how many folks have uh, come up to me and said, I, I can't believe it, I won uh, tickets by going to Meldon Law uh, Facebook. And uh, we're giving away usually uh, one set of four, one set of two tickets for every game. And sometimes we package it with a uh, gift certificate to Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. We're, we're here right now. You can see behind us all these uh, helmets that Steve Spurrier wore at one time in his career, either as a player or a coach. And it's pretty remarkable um, wow, we got one, two, three, four, five times one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, almost 30 helmets. Now, how many people? Jeffrey, you're a lawyer, not an accountant. How'd you do that so fast? <laughs> Anyhow, how, how does one person either coach or play for 30 different teams? That's pretty amazing, right? Well, Jeffrey, clearly the checks didn't bounce, so I'd say it's pretty easy. <laughs> So anyhow, um, what else we got? Oh, Bethune-Cookman baseball um, coming up on um, May 10th. That's next Tuesday. And, uh, oh, man, our big, big um, uh, giveaway. Florida State's going to pack the baseball stadium on uh, May 17th, and we are going to be giving away Super packages for that. So go to Meldon Law uh, Facebook page, and you'll see the uh, contests uh, for all of the uh, baseball and softball games I've been talking about. And, oh, we're giving away a Yeti, a uh, big Yeti cooler filled with uh, neat swag. Uh, so just uh, go to Meldon Law Facebook page, and uh, it will be there as well. So anyhow, our first guest today on Meldon Law and Friends is Chris Pinson. He's the weekend sports anchor for CJB TV 20, which is an ABC affiliate in Gainesville, Florida. And he hosts the uh, 6 and the 11 o'clock news every Saturday and Sunday. But his most important job is working with Meldon Law on the Scholar Athlete Program. You got that right, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> or should I call you boss? <laughs> no, no, it's, no, anyhow, Chris is in a, um, a long line of really successful uh, sports uh, anchors who've worked with us over the years. We're actually in our 24th year. Congratulations. Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, and we've been partners with um, TV20 for about, uh, let's see, 21 of those 24 years. And it was really, I don't think you know the story. Uh, what about story? The, the TV20, the, the Scholar Athlete Program and how it got started. I don't. I, I learned that it was first on radio and then shifted to TV. So how exactly did you get this started? Because, Jeffrey, my sister's a lawyer, and I know she loves sports, but her boss doesn't do anything like this. So how exactly does a lawyer say, yeah, let's start sponsoring local athletes and share their stories? So a friend of mine, uh, Barry Sides, was in the uh, radio uh, salesman. He was a salesman for uh, the local um, uh, UF station, WRUFA, uh, 8.50 a.m. Okay. So uh, Barry uh, said, oh, you know, why don't you start advertising on the sports scene show? From It's on every day from uh, 12 to 2, Monday through Friday, with Larry Vitell. Now, Larry Vitell was one of the local sports announcers that was here for 25 years and was very knowledgeable as far as everything Gator sports. Oh, I bet he was. So, yeah. We were on his show for a year or so, 
and we were advertising on it. And uh, a couple, you know, I said, well, people are listening to sports. In Gainesville, we're a sports town, right? People go, a lot of the reason people turn on TV 20 news is to see the sports segment. <laughs> Listen, if you tell that to Paige Beck, the queen of this town, I might get fired, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, even Paige goes to the games and is a big fan. Yes, she does. So, She's a big fan. So she would maybe the first one to acknowledge that <laughs> sports is king in this town. Anyhow, so uh, we got together and we decided let's do something to honor the uh, great scholar athletes that we have in the in Gainesville and the whole area around, and we started out um, saying, "Well, we're going to give a scholarship to one male and one female scholar athlete uh, every month." And so we, I hired a, an intern in the office, and he went around. You know, I think it was Dan Wiseman, who's a lawyer now. He was interning, and he said, and he would go and track down uh, really bright kids who were good uh, athletes as well. And we we did the first year, and there was only, let's see, uh, two per month. Okay. So, and the school year is what nine months. So, yeah. So I, there maybe there were eighteen. Okay, and. Uh, I remember the first year, Sally Field's niece, Sally Field, the flying nun. And the, <laughs> say, anyhow, By the she, way, that's a classic. That's a classic. <laughs> anyhow, her niece, you know, was a tennis player uh, and uh, really Amanda Field, and she's terrific. So anyhow, she, she won for the Female Scholar Athlete of the Year because at the end of the year we decided – not only should we honor each monthly winner, but uh, each of the weekly winners. And uh, Dan Boyd, who was principal of uh, Gainesville High School, came and gave uh, a little talk to the uh, kids and their families uh, that year. And it was terrific. We, we stayed on the radio for two or three or four years, and then TV20 was doing a little bit of a scholarship recognition, but they weren't giving away a scholarship or a plaque. They weren't doing an annual banquet or anything. Right. And it was with a good friend of mine, Bill Colleen, who had a company called Silver City in Ocala. Silver City. So, I know that's the place. Well, yeah, I've heard of that. Okay, so anyhow, uh -huh. so for some reason, Bill decides he's going to drop his sponsorship of the scholar. Uh, scholarship program that he was doing with TV20 and TV20. We were starting to advertise with TV20 and they said, Jeffrey, what do you think about picking up the scholar athlete? And I thought to myself, hmm, TV20 has a lot bigger following at six o'clock uh, news time than anybody else in this area. That's right. And the, the reach of TV20 goes all the way up to almost the Georgia border north of us and all the way down into Marion County. That's right. And, and so it was like, oh, we can really expand. You can really reach some people. Yeah. And then we said, huh, we better start doing more than one per month. <laughs> so we said we were going to So do, I have you to thank for, we for a weekly prize. <laughs> right, right. That, that's why you're running your butt off every week. <laughs> so we decided let's do one a week, and we would split it up uh, between half male, half female, and give each scholar athlete a $100 uh, gift certificate or, or, or a scholarship uh, and then a plaque um, recognizing their effort. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but my son, Carrie, actually was a TV20 Scholar Athlete of the Year before I started this program. No way. Yeah. Really? He, he went to GHS, okay. played tennis, number one singles and doubles, and led the team to a state championship. Get out of here. So Okay, yeah. okay, Dad, got some genetics, so, got some athleticism. So, anyhow, uh, so, so um, I, I knew uh, all, I, all I have left from that, uh, that award to carry is a uh, VHS tape that's uh, somewhere <laughs> in, in somewhere next to your wedding tape, yeah, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's in a trunk, that, and we need to, you know, preserve it somewhere. That's Anyhow, funny. so so the TV twenty had started to build, and of course, Alan Chapman out there was a huge fan of ours. You know, Beth Ing and everybody. Oh yeah, has been around for a long yeah, time. Yeah, management team, sales team, they are remarkable in what they do. 
Yeah, and so they got behind it, and uh, Hank Costanga was the first um, uh, sports anchor that we worked with. Okay. And uh, he, was, he was great. Um, I still have pictures in the office of uh, us doing our scholar-athlete, and it's, it absolutely blew up when TV20 got involved. And we were doing it every single week. And what's remarkable is that we're actually entering our 25th year. The silver anniversary. Yeah. It's pretty special. It is. And, you know, some of the people that have won the Scholar Athlete of the Year, which is, so at the end of the year, we started doing a banquet and bringing uh, the families, and now we bring the coaches as well to the Scholar Athlete of the Year banquet, and we individually recognize each Scholar Athlete starting in September going through May, and then at the end of the ceremony, we award the Scholar Athlete of the Year for the male and female winners, and TV20 then uh, does their a big interview. They air it for one whole news cycle. And um, some years we've actually had a remote out there. You know, at, we're doing it at the Hilton Hotel again this year. And the date is May 23rd. So uh, everybody who's uh, listening or watching, uh, check that out. It's going to be uh, pretty remarkable. And so, by the way, this is going to be the first banquet in, what you say, three years? What, 2019? Yeah, yeah, so three years, a hiatus. That's, that's a long time to take, to take away from something like this. Because you know, right, obviously, you work so hard every day in the office to try to represent so many people who need the help. And all these kids do the same thing, right? They work hard in the classroom. They work hard on the field. And so to not have that formal recognition of both parties, you the sponsor, then the sponsorees, right? I'm sure it kind of, I wouldn't say took some wind out of your sails, but at the same time, you know what it's like to get up there and look at these young faces of tomorrow's generation and say, hey, congratulations on all your hard work. I want to personally thank you, right? Yeah. Well, so Chris, is this your second year doing this? Yeah, because I took over, technically, I took over for Sierra Clark in January of 21. And so, right, she had done the fall of 2020, and I picked up the rest of it and finished out. You know, and obviously I was hoping that by the summer of 21, we'd be out of COVID and back to what we are now, in person, face-to-face. But since it took an extra year, I can't tell you how much I'm truly looking forward to seeing all these kids I've interviewed and their coaches and to meet their parents. Because, again, it, I ask these kids a lot, you know, why is it important that you recognize the people that have helped raise you? Why is it important that it does take a village to just raise a person? You know, and they generally give thoughtful, candid, emotional answers because they do realize that they wouldn't be here like you or I without positive influences along the way. And you're one of those because without your scholarship, without your effort to make this happen, I don't have part of this job. They don't have part of the recognition. So truly, well, we appreciate actually, that. Actually, Chris, they do the hard work. <laughs> like, I, I mean, they're, they're out there busting their butts all the time, both scholastically and for a young person mm-hmm. to be able to uh, schedule their time. It, I, you know, let me ask you this. How has uh, do, interviewing some of these incredible young people affected you and your perspective? Um. <sighs> It has definitely given me hope for the next generation. Cause, right, and I say that laughing, right? Because I'm barely over 30 years old. But even I can look back and say, wow, you know, it's, it's now been 15 years since I was a high school senior. Since I remember going out, you know, in all my different sports I played. Because in high school, I played four sports. I was a basketball, soccer, tennis, and golf kid. And, you know, I remember what it's like juggling that time frame. Okay, I got practice after school. I got a project due tomorrow. I've got a paper to write, a, a test to study for. Right, and you've got all these things you're trying to compartmentalize and then take on your opponent, whether it's yourself in golf or somebody else trying to beat you. And so just to watch these kids and listen to them and then hear from their coaches about how responsible they are, first one in, last one out, you know, no matter the sacrifice, they make it, and they always find time to get everything in order and get it done correctly. I mean, come on. Like, how can you not be enthused about how tomorrow is going to be taken care of thanks to these kind of kids? Well, I, I, I can't wait till the second part um, of this uh, show. Uh, we're going to talk some more about it. I'm here with Chris Pinson from WCJB, who is uh, the headliner for our uh, 
TV20 Melden Law Scholar Athlete uh, Program. And we're going to be back in 60 seconds on Melden Law and Friends. We are here at the University of Florida where Albert and Alberta are competing in the Gator Penalty Shootout. Albert is ready to stop the shot at all costs. What a disaster. Luckily, Melton Law is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. If you have suffered any injury, do not worry because Melton Law is going to help you with your recovery. Melton Law doesn't back down until they reach their goal. We still hear it. The sound of victory. The joy of being part of something great. And while things may not be the same right now, we haven't gone anywhere. If you bleed orange and blue, then Melden Law is the firm for you. Welcome back to Melden Law and Friends. We're here at uh, Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. Uh, my guest is Chris Pinson from TV20. He's the weekend sports anchor and uh, heads up our uh, TV20 Melden Law Scholar Athlete Program. And Chris, this is a pretty cool place to do an, uh, a podcast, isn't it? Are you kidding me? Right, on the, the first segment, we talked about all the helmets that are in here. I mean, right, this is actually my first time being in this building. I have yet to come here, and it's been open for a few months now. This is absolutely gorgeous between all of Coach Spurrier's memorabilia, his playing stuff. I mean, the pictures, it's just this guy knows how to do it upright, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, there was a big team. Uh, including our good friend Freddie Wiebe, who helped uh, plan and put this together. You know, they went to over 50 sports uh, celebrity restaurants around the United States to find out what made them successful and what made others not so successful. Why am I, why am I not surprised that Coach Spurrier went to those lengths to game plan for his own restaurant, right? <laughs> no, I mean, and everything was thought out. They also, this restaurant was designed as uh, a host uh, restaurant for uh, recruiting Gator athletes. Coach always has a few <laughs> extra options in his game plan, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he's the you know, University of Florida ambassador. I mean, he, he lives up to that reputation and yeah. then some. Well, think about it, okay? Um, he has been like this huge deal for the University of Florida going on 58 years or something like yeah. that. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, the only, I think Danny Warfel's a big deal, but, you know, Tim Tebow's a bigger, you know, internationally oh, yes. known. Yes. And I was thinking the other day as far as, you know, Gator, famous Gators that everybody knows and recognize, there's two, you know, which is Spurrier That's and right. Tebow. That's right. right. I mean, yeah, those those are the two Mount Rushmore people, right? I mean, after yeah. that, you you could put Billy Donovan on there and maybe another athlete, but yeah, if you're talking Gator football or just Gator sports, it's it's the old ball coach and Tim Tebow, no doubt not about the it. The old ball coach, the head ball <laughs> coach. Right, yeah, the head he ball will coach. chop your head off if you call him old. <laughs> By the way, uh, so I do find it funny that I'm here in Gainesville working covering sports. I say that because I came from Sebring, Florida, when I had a, a two hour radio show on an ESPN affiliate. And my boss there was a man named Michael Ewing. And Michael Ewing, his greatest claim to athletic fame is that he was a part of the 1966 Missouri Tigers team that beat Coach Spurrier in the Sugar Bowl. Wow. And, and I remember when Coach Spurrier appeared on um, oh, uh, the popular uh, golf channel show, Faraday, and he was asked about, you know, what's, what's one loss or what's one game you'll never get over? And Coach Spurrier said, I can't believe we lost that dang Sugar Bowl in 66. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And uh, Coach Spurrier is here a lot. Uh, you know, one of the things we try to do on the podcast is let people know, uh, you know, come out here. It's an amazing museum. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, it, the food is all farm to table. It's all locally um, grown and sourced. And um, the... The food here uh, is top-notch. The atmosphere is fun. And if uh, 
if you're a Gator fan, it's like uh, you're oh, it's heaven. Yeah, right between where we're sitting on the first level, you got visors up top. I mean, Coach has done this place upright. Although I do have to say, I kind of feel kind of feel like an animal of the zoo. You got patrons outside outside a little studio here eating behind us. So, it's, so I'm like, hey, I'm a mime. <laughs> well, so Chris, when we started the show, they were only open Wednesday through Sunday. Okay. And then, uh, and then uh, you know, Coach and Freddie decided uh, they were going to open uh, Tuesday. Okay. And uh, I think they started at 3 o'clock, and then they said, well, we're going to open at 4 o'clock. And that's how we became uh, the animals in the zoo. Okay. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad they opened uh, that extra day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there, but there's, lots of, um, there's lots of podcasts that go on here all week long. Wow, uh, Pat Dooley and uh, the head ball coach do one here Monday. What time is it, Evan? They do Monday in the afternoon, I think, two p.m. Yeah, uh, and there's a lot, a lot of really cool podcasts going on here all the time. And this room was designed as a podcast room. That's incredible. Before. A podcast studio in the middle of a restaurant. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great concept. Yeah, and and I don't know if you know, but you know. When uh, graduation weekend last weekend, you know. Oh, I'm sure this place was as busy as it can get. Well, I mean, Tebow was in one room. Okay? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, you know, they had uh, all the, the ga- big Gator donors were in another room. They had uh, uh, Coach Napier was here with his crew. And so this has become, you know, the hangout. Yeah. You know, honestly, Jeffrey, what this kind of reminds me of, the way this is set up and the way that you can be an average person and walk in and you can see and sometimes meet some of those upper echelon celebrities, it reminds me of my dad is my dad is 66 and he would tell me about friends he had in New York, you know, that they would go out to certain restaurants after the Yankees games, you know, when guys like Whitey Ford and Mickey Mantle and all these guys would go out and go down to Yogi's or some bar and, hey, after the game, yeah, that's Mickey Mantle, comes here every game. You know, right. it, that, that is the best thing for a fan because you get to see your idols up close. And hopefully they, uh, they live up to the idol reputation. But either way, you get to see these people and say, they're just like you and me. They're just out for a drink and a great meal. And where else would you rather have it in Gainesville, Florida, except Spurriers? Yeah, and the head ball coach is here regularly. He's at least here four or five days a week and looks forward to um, meeting people. I, I think he recognizes his position and that he helps really uh, promote uh, Gator athletics. Oh, yeah. I mean, for for Coach Spurrier, who not only is, A, one of the greatest sound bites of college sports there is, but, again, he, as you said, he understands his role. He realizes that he is an icon in this town. Right now, like a lot of other famous people, he could go somewhere else and hide and just enjoy his peace and quiet, but he realizes why his name and the Florida brand are really synonymous and with him having this restaurant and just being a likable guy, whether it's in here, on the football field, or on the golf course, again, when you meet somebody of his ilk and you see how down-to-earth they are, that's when you're like, wow, that's a really cool person. I'm glad that money or fame didn't change who they are. And I'll tell you, Chris, the, you talk about you know, sports sound bites. The, the 1990s in Gainesville and Tallahassee <laughs> created the greatest oh sports <laughs> between Bobby Bowden and, and Steve Spurrier. Man. You know, the two of them were two of the most competitive coaches ever. Oh, yeah. And, and they had some pretty good teams to go with that competitive spirit. And, and you, you know what's amazing? Um, they they never uh, hung out and socialized or anything while they were coaching and you know wow. rivals and stuff like that. When Bobby Bowden was near you know getting near his deathbed, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was last year. Yeah. Um, uh, his wife called up um, Coach Spurrier and said um, he Bobby's going and he wanted to meet with you and hang out a little bit. That is really cool, and and of course Steve went up there, and of course, yeah, and and they spent time together, and you know, it's like sometimes you know your biggest rival is in many ways the most significant person in your life. Agreed, right? And and a lot of times it's almost like you are looking in the mirror, right? Because even though obviously Coach Spurrier is not as old as Coach Bowden, those two with the way they could game plan, how they could recruit, how they could get the most out of their players. 
man, I mean, those games in the 90s were just absolute wars, and everybody knew it. I mean, even, even Coach Bowden said after that first meeting in 96, boy, I'm glad we beat him this time because we might not do it again. And sure enough, <laughs> sure Coach Berger knew we're going <laughs> to blow these boys off the barn doors. <laughs> and I was there at the game. I mean, that was – Oh, uh, that must have been electric. Oh, it was. And, and you know, um, the 80s belonged to the Miami Hurricanes. Yes, they okay? did. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, Howard Schnellenberger, and they, they had, but the 90s belonged to Florida State and Florida. Florida. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, every single year, you know, and uh, it was actually, you know, Alabama um, did not have a winning record against uh, the head ball coach. And, which, uh, which we can't believe today because of how good Nick Saban is. Yeah. Yeah. And so. <laughs> So it was um, an absolute um, incredible time period, and now I think uh, the the restaurant is kind of celebrating um, what what occurred, and most importantly, the future. Of course, because like I said, you know uh, Napier, you know John Golden, uh, they're going to all be using this as uh, one of their prime recruiting tools. Of course, uh, you know. In the past, there were other restaurants that uh, you could bring the families to. Uh, however, they were not set up to really be a good recruiting tool. Anyhow, I'm here talking talking sports with <laughs> one, of, one of the most knowledgeable sports guys in town uh, for, for a younger guy. <laughs> Some of this stuff, Chris wasn't even born when this stuff was going on, but, but as a sports dude, you gotta, you know, you, hey, you gotta know your material, right? You gotta know the you material. Gotta know. So anyhow, uh, we're talking about the upcoming Meldon law TV 20 scholar athlete banquet, uh, going to be at the Hilton coming up, uh, Monday, May 23rd. And uh, it's going to be covered extensively by TV20. Uh, we're going to all wait to see who the Scholar Athlete of the Year is. I'm going to give you a few names that have been former winners. Uh, Freddie Swain, wide receiver, playing out in Seattle now. Yep. Cornelius Ingram, tight end, who was uh, both football and basketball star. And uh, it's kind of like the... Uh, runs Hawthorne, Florida. You got that right. I, I always joke with him because whenever I see him, on, especially on the basketball court, I always laugh and say, Coach, it's a good thing I'm not a paying customer to, you know, to sit in the stands. He goes, why? I said, because i got to sit behind you and so I want a refund. I said, you're wide as two door frames. I mean, he's, <laughs> no, he's, a, a, big, he's a big man. Big dude. And his son, who's, who's going to be a sophomore in the fall, that kid's gonna, is following right in his footsteps. He's going to be a big guy, too. Well, and, and Cornelius is a better human being than um, yes. just about anybody I yes. know. Uh, you know, we have Andrew Miller was a, a great pitcher yep. uh, who re just recently retired, and he was our Meldon Law uh, TV 20 Scholar Athlete of the Year, C.J. Spiller, uh, Tim Jernigan, uh, Laramie Tunsil, uh, Kavarius Hayes, who played basketball, uh, from he was from Suwannee County, so uh, we we have a tremendous talent group, and every year um, I'm humbled by uh, the the qualities of the kids that uh, are going to be there and their parents. So uh, I think it's going to be really fun and exciting, and uh, you know I'm going to have you do you do your little speech, I'll do a little <laughs> speech. And uh, maybe we'll have some surprises. Trust me, Jeffrey, I cannot wait. It's going to be a blast. Okay. Well, we are done with the first segment of TV 20 Melden Law Scholar Athlete of the Year uh, presentation and warm-up. Uh, we're going to be back in three minutes with the second half of Melden Law and Friends. Thank you very much for joining us, Chris. Thank you, Jeffrey. When you're a member of the Gator Nation, you know what it means to never back down. Melden Law has been a proud supporter of the Gator Nation since 1971. Two forces that won't back down. As the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. Albert. Alberta, I understand you were witnesses to a crash. Can you tell us about the accident? 
When you're in a crash, it's important to get witness statements immediately after the accident. Whether you're in a car, truck, motorcycle, scooter, or even a golf cart accident, at Melden Law, we won't back down. The Gator Nation will be the first to tell you that in all kinds of weather, we all stick together. Which is why Melden Law is honored to be the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. We hope you never find yourself the victim of a serious accident. But if you do, our team is here for you. Gators won't back down from a fight, and neither do we. Gosh, I can't even believe this. Look, look what you have done to my truck. Excuse me, it's your fault, it's not my fault. Yes, it is your no, fault. Not, not I am fault. calling Jeffrey Meldon from Meldon Law. So I'm gonna call Jeffrey, my husband. Meldon Law, this is Jeffrey speaking. Jeffrey! This no, person no, here, honey. this person lady, he might be. New client? Yes, but this one might be a little tricky. We still hear it, the sound of victory, the joy of being part of something great. And while things may not be the same right now, we haven't gone anywhere. If you bleed orange and blue, then Melden Law is the firm for you. We are here at the University of Florida, where Albert and Alberta are competing in the Gator Penalty Shootout. Albert is ready to stop the shot at all costs. What a disaster. Luckily, Melton Law is the only official lawfare partner of the Florida Gators. If you have suffered any injury, do not worry, because Melton Law is going to help you with your recovery. Melton Law doesn't back down until they reach their goal. I thought I was in a truck accident. Because of the accident, I've resulted in three back surgeries. We saw advertisements on TV, and guess who popped up more often than that? It was Jeffrey. The communication that he provided was so appreciative. He shows his compassion as a human. He assisted us in achieving one of our dreams, the acquisition of a home. And we're here today with smiles on our face with the assistance from Jeffrey. Welcome back to Melden Law and Friends. Uh, we've got a great uh, second half of the show. Before we go to our show, I want to mention again, uh, Melden Law is giving away great tickets for baseball and softball games. Uh, they're coming up, let's see, softball, we've got Mercer uh, coming up May 6th and 7th. We've got Bethune-Cookman uh, baseball game May 10th. Uh, we've got a big game against FSU May 17th. And, uh, oh, wow, we are going to be giving away the first pitch opportunity for the Florida State game on May 17th. I didn't even know that until I looked down on my cheat sheet here. That's a pretty I, good package deal. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, so you can get uh, a set of uh, two or four tickets for uh, the Florida State game, which will be sold out. Mm -hmm. It's a, a Tuesday evening game at 6 o'clock. And you can be the star and get out there and do the first pitch. Not bad. So, uh, anyhow, we're excited. And Melden Law is also giving away a Yeti cooler because if you're going to, uh, you know, Go uh, have a good time outside, uh, then you'll have to have a Yeti cooler. That's one of the best nearby, ones out there. Right? Yes, sir. So anyhow, uh, go to Melden Law Facebook page, and all the contests are there, and we really are excited to be able to share this uh, with our uh, fan base, our friends, and everybody, because we get six tickets for all the athletic events, and we turn around and give them away to the community Join us. Have a good time. Anyhow, I am here with my special guest, Brian Pope, 
And uh, I, could, I guess I can call you Batman, huh? I've been doing this for about, geez, 25, 26 years now. So, yeah, it's, it's been quite a while yeah. that I've been doing Not doing in the movies, Batman. Batman, but a different kind of Batman, right? Oh, correct, correct. <laughs> a little bit different, but we're still trying to save the planet with what we do and the animals that, that really has become a part of, of our, uh, our history since we were founded in 1989. Okay, so let's go back and uh, talk a little bit about... Um, uh, you know, you live in Gainesville, Florida, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, how bats became uh, important in Gainesville, Florida. Well, like I said, we were founded in 1989, and whenever we originally founded, um, the gentleman who put this all together really had an interest in endangered species. Um, and at one point, we had had the world's largest collection of European bison. We had primates out there. We had birds. Uh, but he had also had a very special interest in bats, especially uh, the old world fruit bats. So we're talking flying foxes, five, six-foot wingspans. Unfortunately, he passed away two years after we were founded, so the decision was made to, okay, let's focus on what he really was passionate about. So for 33 years, we've been focusing on not only these old-world fruit bats, these large flying foxes that are found in Asia, Australia, South Pacific, you know, in that area, um, but also right here in Florida. Um, so we're putting up, uh, in two weeks, we're putting up two bat houses at P.K. Young. Uh, so that's going to be our 109th and 110th bat house that we've uh, put up here in the state. Um, we've also worked with some extremely uh, endangered species here in Florida, particularly Florida bonneted bat, uh, which is one of the most endangered species in the world. It's found right here in Florida. So we've done everything from working with uh, bats all over the world. We've got projects right now in Fiji, New Caledonia, uh, to working with bats right here in Florida. We do a lot of education, uh, a lot of conservation, a lot of community engagement as well. And um, you're with, is it Luby? Is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, Luby Bat Conservancy. And, and what is the Luby uh come from? Uh, that was it? our nickname of our founder. His name was Louis, uh, Louis B., so they just called him Lou B. So oh, it's stuck. And actually, if I'm not okay. mistaken, I think it was his secretary that, uh, that, that mentioned that to him, and he's like, yeah, that's fine. That's <laughs> so, fine. you know, that's Lou fine. B. Let's go with it. And here we are, you know, founded in, in 1989, so we're going on three years, July 31st, 33 years um, uh, that we've been around. And we've been from here, it took me uh, about a half hour to get here, because we're up kind of by Brooker. So if you take uh, 75 to the Alachua exit, we're 15 minutes towards Brooker, but actually we've got a Gainesville address, but just a little bit south. So we've been, you know, Florida's always been obviously home of the Gators, but you've got the Lake Alice Bat Houses, which we're not a part of. Actually, but myself and our one maintenance guy was, was there on Friday helping them out uh, with some of their bat houses. Do you, know, but, do you know the story of how those bat houses got put there? I knew there were some bats that took up some residence and were being a little bit pesky <laughs> and not wanting to yeah, leave. Am okay. I correct in statement? It that? was the track and field um, facility mm -hmm. uh, near near where the baseball stadium uh, used to be in O-Dome and stuff like in the football field. And the bats took up residency um, in the stands over at the track and field. And, of course, they'd have tons of fans coming there for certain <laughs> events during the... And, and uh, the bats were, um, you know, not interacting with the fans, apparently, in an appropriate way. So they said, what can we do to get rid of the bats that are here? Mm -hmm. So somebody said, oh, let's go build a bat house, you know, down the road a little bit and somehow, I guess, capture the bats and move them there. And I think they try to do some exclusion work to get them out because you can't put, take them from a house and put them next to them. like, what, what is this, scared to death to leave? But whatever they did, I believe there was a gentleman there at the time named Ken Glover. Whatever they did to try to exclude those bats and get them to move, it worked exceptionally well. Because now they think there's about a half million bats in between those three houses. Wow, yeah. a half a million. Yep. It's the largest inhabited bat house colony in the world. So not only do we have... You know, Gainesville is home to the gators. It's really home to the bats because you have the Lake House bat houses, which half, with half a million, and then you have Luby Bat Conservancy, which we're the one of a kind in the world. We're the only facility that houses uh, endangered species of bats while maintaining active conservation and education programs. And I should mention that we are a certified related facility with the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Uh, other uh, certified related facilities and accredited zoos are Disney's Animal Kingdom or with the AZA, uh, Columbus Zoo, San Diego. So the big ones, Luby's also a part of that. And I should mention this. When I came down here, uh, not a lot of folks know this, but whenever I came here from Pittsburgh, you and I just talking, you're a Cleveland guy, I'm a northern guy as well. Uh, whenever I came down here, in 1996, Disney was actually housing their animals at Luby while they were building the Animal Kingdom. 
So there would be giraffes and rhinos. Now, those weren't Luby's animals, uh, but they were Disney's. But I would just work alongside these people. Uh, so it's kind of like a little bit of Gainesville knowledge that Disney kind of had a uh, kind of little station out here while they were building the Animal Kingdom. And actually eventually went to Disney, worked there for about 10 years because uh, Luby was loaning some of the bats to Disney. And they're like, why don't you come on down to Disney? And I'm like, all right, that sounds good. So I was down there for 10 years, and then I came back in 2007 as curator, and then 2011 I took over as director and just I absolutely love what, what the organization stands for, the work that we've done here in Gainesville and around the world. And uh, opportunities like this, I thank you very much because we like to get out there in the community, talk about what we do, how we you know work with school kids. Uh, we've built schools around the world. Uh, we've helped to empower women's groups. We've protected forests, worked with governments and communities, and you know, people, we're still getting the word out there. You know, I remember when I took over as director, people were like, aren't you guys like a cult? Aren't you a farm? And I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, we need to do something with our education program here. So um, we've been doing a lot more community engagement and opportunities like this help us to spread the word and talk about what we do. Let's talk about why bats um, are an important part of the ecosystem. Well, one of the things that we like to say is, is outside of mammals that, you know, folks might eat, you know, cows, pigs, chickens, that sort of thing. Not chickens, they're not mammals or birds. Uh, bats are some of the most important mammals to humans. So every night they're out there eating mosquitoes, eating agricultural pests. If you've got cows or horses or donkeys, any of those biting flies, those bats are eating those insects. There was a study done by the U.S. Geological uh, Survey back in 2011 uh, that showed that bats save farmers between 4 and $53 billion a year by eating, eating those mosquitoes and reducing pesticides. And then you have fruit bats like we have at Luby. The majority of our bats, we, we have about 150. Uh, the majority of them are the fruit bats. He's flying foxes, so these guys. <laughs> There's Arthur. That's one of my favorites right there. Big old piece of watermelon with them right here. Um, so the majority of our bats are like this. And this guy, unfortunately, he passed away a couple years ago, but he's my favorite. And we actually have a skeleton on display at Luby so people could see what they look like. They're mammals, just like us, you know. So we thought it'd be neat that after he passed that we want to do something special with him. But majority of our bats are these guys, are old road fruit bats and flying foxes. But we also have some, some native bats, some little insectivorous ones. A couple of them had to have their wings amputated, needed a home. Um, but these kind of bats are are very important when it comes to seed dispersal and pollination. And we always hear about deforestation, the rainforest being cut down. They've done studies in Central and South America and also in Southeast Asia that 90% of the regrowth of those rainforests are because of bats. So there's many agricultural products we depend on, like mango and cashews. Uh, if you like a margarita here at Spurrier's, come on down, get a good margarita. That tequila is coming from the agave plant. Bats are the only ones pollinating those flowers. So from an economic standpoint, from an ecosystem service standpoint, agricultural, bats are some of the most important mammals to humans because they eat those insects, they're pollinating those flowers, they're spreading those seeds. And we always use the hashtag most important because they really are. And, and they're a very malign species. There's a lot of myths associated with them. Uh, trust me, if we were the Luby Panda Conservancy, it wouldn't be so hard to raise funds and keep our operations well, going. But talk about that. What are some of the misconceptions about uh, bats? Uh, I, I think one of the things is that they're just not really important. So you and I just talked about them. I mean, they're very, very important animals to have around. Uh, it's a myth that they're blind. They can all see very, very well. They may have very small eyes, but they can see great. Uh, when I first started working with bats in 96, there was about 900 known species of bat. Now, today, there is about 1,450. So really, in two and a half decades, they found over 500 species. And you can take those, about 1,200 of them are the kind that we have here in Florida and really all over the world, for the most part smaller, they echolocate. Uh, so you could put up a strand of hair, and they will go around that strand, because that's how precise that echolocation is. Um, is that like radar? It's exactly what it is. Yeah, so uh, dolphins and, and orcas, things like that, will use the same thing. Um, so the, they use echolocation, but even, if, even those 1,200 species that use it, uh, they can still see very well. So if they're out at night, and they're hunting, and they're moving around trees, it's just an easier means to get around. And then you got, like, these guys, the, the big fruit bats, they, they don't use echolocation, they're fruit bats, and their food's not really going anywhere. <laughs> you know? So, so but now, they've got big the, eyes, and they can see well. So it's a myth that bats are blind. But do the fruit bats go out primarily at night? Actually, it's a great question. Uh, their activity patterns usually mornings and evenings. So it's called you got nocturnal at night, diurnal at day. Uh, these guys, uh, crepuscular. i got some more pictures of these guys right here. They're actually crepuscular, which means active mornings and evenings. And this is our beautiful girl, Grace. This is called a Rodrigues fruit bat. Um, 
at one point, this is one of the most endangered mammals in the world. Only about 70 of them left. They're found on one little tiny island off the east coast of Madagascar. And Luby got involved with a, a woman back in the 90s who started a, um, a grassroots environmental campaign, uh, really getting the community involved. And we fund a, a program there every year. Now there's about 16 to 20,000 of these guys on the island. So you know, one of the things, main things we do is conservation. It's good to know that there are success stories out there, um, well, that it's not all gloom and doom. You know, um, I'm, I'm being educated today because I know that um, the survival of the world is very much tied to uh, the, uh, the success of uh, having thriving bee colonies as well. It sounds right. to me like bats do a lot of the same thing yep. that bees do. Yeah, birds, bees, and bats are really some of the, the keystone indicators or how our environments are doing. And you hear about bird populations declining. Um, one of the main reasons is cats. So if you have any cats that are running around outside, please bring them in. Um, bee populations are, are plummeting because of colony collapse disorder, and then bat populations as well. So about 40% of the species in the United States are considered threatened or, th considered threatened or endangered, and 25% uh, worldwide. So really, those, those three types of animals, birds, bees, and bats, are environmental indicators. And whenever we hear about their numbers going down, that, that has ramifications for humans as well. And I've really been thinking uh, of the concept of, of we really need to look at insects as well. We really need to start because everything really starts, I and mean, you can go lower to fungus and all that stuff, but, but insects are, are very important to what uh, how the whole world really interacts with each other with, when it comes to uh, ecosystems and agriculture, and we need to start there and protect the bees, protect the birds, and protect the bats because just like you said, they're the ones out there that are pollinating, uh, pollinating seeds and, and uh, pollinating flowers, dispersing seeds, uh, but also controlling mosquitoes and a lot of agricultural pests. So a uh, very good point. We need to protect those animals, and that's what Luby's trying to do. Well, I think that's really important. I mean, look, in the Bible they talked about, you know, uh, what went on in Egypt, right, mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, the um, plagues and the, you know, pestilence and, you know, uh, you know, whether it was insects or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. was going on, it's not something that just started recently. Right, and, and the Bible also says we need to be good stewards of the earth, and I think conversations like this, bringing awareness to it, and the things that Luby and, and other organizations are doing is really where we need to start. Well, we're very excited to have Brian Pope from uh, Luby, um, on the show. We're going to take a one minute break and be back on Melvin Law and Friends. We are here at the University of Florida where Albert and Alberta are competing in the Gate of Penalty Shootout. Albert is ready to stop the shot at all costs. What a disaster! Luckily, Melvin Law is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gator. If you have suffered any injury, do not worry because Melvin Law is going to help you with your recovery. Melvin Law doesn't back down until they reach their goal. We still hear it. The sound of victory. The joy of being part of something great. And while things may not be the same right now, we haven't gone anywhere. If you bleed orange and blue, then Melden Law is the firm for you. Welcome back to Melden Law and Friends. We're here at uh, Spurrier's Gridiron Grit, Gridiron Grill, great restaurant and a lot of fun. I'm here uh, with Brian Pope, uh, who's talking to us about bats and why they are uh, important uh, to us. Uh, remember, go to Melden Law Facebook page, and there's tons of great uh, tickets going on. We've got Florida State's coming in town in two weeks, and we're uh, giving away the first pitch um, along with a package of four tickets and two tickets to the uh, game. It's going to be an absolute uh, blast. Uh, Melden Law is going to be doing a, uh, uh, a local um, party for our team at the uh, Florida State baseball game. And for those of you that haven't been out to the uh, new ballpark, the uh, Condrum Baseball Stadium, as it's called now, uh, you're missing a great opportunity. Uh, it's so much fun. Baseball is kind of a slow game, and you just kind of hang out. It's beautiful. You can sit on the grass there and uh, watch what's going on, bring a picnic blanket, and uh, 
uh, some food to eat. It's great. So uh, enjoy it and join us out at the uh, the old ballpark. And uh, the Lady Gators have a equally uh, spectacular um, softball stadium. So uh, check them out as well. Anyhow, um, I'm here with Brian Pope, who is uh, head of uh, the uh, local Luby Bat Conservatory. And we're talking about the importance of uh, bats in the ecosystem and how the, uh, you know, birds, bees, bats are all important to uh, make sure that we have trees growing and plants growing. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, without that, then, uh, you know, we don't have all the oxygen that we need, Mm -hmm. right? right? And there's lots of stuff that is all interconnected. Um, what are some of the misconceptions as far as bats? I mean, I remember people, uh, you know, worrying about, yo, the bats are going to get in my hair and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, uh, I, you know, they're going to, you know, carry disease and they're, you know, stay away from bats. So right. bats kind of had a bad reputation except for Batman. Right. And he had a good reputation. Yes, yes. <laughs> except talk, for talk the Joker and Riddler. They didn't think he had a good they reputation. They didn't. <laughs> anyway, um, but no, that's that's a good one. And we might as well talk about it. We'll talk about uh, bats and their association with diseases. So uh, we'll talk about rabies first. Um, they don't have rabies. They can get rabies. You and I can get rabies. Our cats and dogs can get rabies, but, the, but they don't. Don't just have rabies. Uh, the number they think is about uh, one-tenth of one percent or maybe half of one percent of all bats have rabies. Uh, but whenever they do get it, their bodies are so small, um, talking about the Florida species, uh, that whenever they get it, they, they succumb to it very quickly. Uh, so if you see a bat on the ground or really any type of, of wildlife on the ground that you can approach, something's wrong with it, you know, uh, get, get uh, call animal control, uh, Florida wildlife. Uh, if you're a child, you know, talk with an adult. Um, but bats and diseases. So uh, bats are actually very clean animals. They groom themselves all the time, um, and they're associated with uh, COVID. So we might as well just talk about that. Um, there's a, the, uh, the thought that bats caused COVID. That actually came from 2013. They had one sample from one bat called the intermediate horseshoe bat. We know that there's over 1,400 species of bats out there. Uh, and that, that virus, they found that one species of bat over in Asia, that virus is 96.3% similar to COVID. Okay, this is apples and oranges. Our our DNA is, is 98.6% the same as chimps. So they have not found COVID in bats. They're not spreading SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID. They don't have it. Um, they don't know whether this virus came from a civet or a pangolin or any other ant mammal uh, or if it was created somewhere. We don't know, but the bats are not out there spreading it. They have given bats that virus in captivity. We have uh, a species here in Florida called the big brown bat. It's actually found from Alaska all the way down into Central and South America. Very small control group, but the National Wildlife Health Center in Madison, Wisconsin, gave that virus to those bats, and they couldn't get it. It was two oh. puzzle pieces that just didn't work. Oh, because they were resistant to it. They, they just couldn't get it. It, it didn't bind to the, to the receptors in their lungs, so they couldn't oh. get it. They did a similar study with a species of fruit bat over in, uh, in Germany. They had them in captivity, and uh, I think one out of nine got it, but it was very low. There was another study. I'll make this real quick. I don't want to bore the guests for anything talking the scientific stuff, but I think it's important to say that, again, bats are not out there spreading COVID, um, that uh, UC Davis did a study where they, where they did a, a, published a paper where they looked at the morphology of those receptors. So we know SARS-CoV-2 binds with arc receptors in our lungs. They looked at 400 species of mostly mammals. Humans and carnivores and apes were very high, whereas every species of bat they knew of were low. So they're not carrying disease. We've been around these bats for, for generations, hundreds, thousands of years. We're not getting anything from them. So there was a lot of false blame put on bats for COVID, a lot of pretty horrific things. And I think what we need to do is just focus on the importance of them. This opportunity is fantastic, uh, Mr. Melden, so I definitely appreciate it. But really talk about how important they are, not that they're out there or these myths that they're out there spreading to the diseases because they're not. Now, <clears throat> what is it um, about bats uh, that make people want to um, eat them as food? Because I know in Asia, they're considered a delicacy and all of that. Um, First of all, is is it, you know, the same thing as us eating any other animal? Uh, You know, what's the deal with uh, why the Asians uh, seem to have uh, bats on their menu? 
So they, they eat them in quite a few areas. They eat them in Africa, in Asia, South Pacific Islands, um, uh, Papua New Guinea. So it's just been part of their culture. And uh, whenever we do some of these conservation projects, you want to work with the locals. And you want to work with the hunters, okay, because they're not the ones just decimating the population. So uh, they're going to eat them. Uh, but if you are going to work to try to protect some of these bats, let's work with the communities who are hunting them. What we don't like are the poachers, and the local communities that eat them like that don't like the poachers because they're overhunting them, and it's unregulated. They're, they're killing these bats during maternity season. Uh, they're, they're taking them out without any controls whatsoever. So they do eat them over there, and they eat them in quite a few areas of the world, um, but it's unregulated overhunting. And what happens is whenever you take these bats out, you're taking out their ecosystem services that they provide. There's one island called Pemba Island that is kind of in between Africa and Madagascar. Years ago, we did, uh, did some research over there. We funded some work working with local communities. That's a key is you always work with the local communities because those are the people that live with these animals. You want to work with, with the communities. And long story short, there were, there, there were poachers that were coming in, other communities coming in that were overhunting these animals, and all of a sudden the fruits weren't being produced. The pollination wasn't happening, and they really couldn't understand why, and it's because the main pollinators of these trees are just nowhere to be found. So we had worked with the locals and the communities, and long story short, that went from a critically endangered species up to one whose numbers became stable, and they saw those crops that they depend on come back. So it's important that uh, to work with those people who may be hunters, but the problem are the poachers, and that's where uh, the problems lie, and that's what we try to to where we try to intervene. So you so um, diseases with bats and eating bats is not what um, uh, is sometimes portrayed uh, in the media. Correct. Correct. Yeah, they've actually never found a live virus, whether it's SARS-CoV-2 or COVID. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID, Ebola, Marburg. They've never found that live virus in any of the bats. So it's just a lot of myths it, so associated with it. So it's no them. different than, you know, a cow or a goat or a pig or anything else. Nope. They're, they're animals. And they eat them. And they, <laughs> and they eat them. Correct. So, Correct. Okay. They've been doing it, and you don't hear about these big viral outbreaks or anything like that because they've been eating them for for generations. Okay, so that's so the misinformation ha- is kind of a cultural phenomenon. Correct. We don't eat bats. All we do is, you know, uh, you know, hear about them or, you know, f- once in a while I guess you could see them flying around. What what about that? How do you observe bats uh, the, at night? The way that we observe them is actually, let me see if I got a quick picture. Um, we actually put up acoustic monitoring equipment and we've done this quite a bit, hopefully. This, basically what this is, is there's a microphone in here in a box uh, linked to that. Um, you guys can see it only stands maybe about four feet tall. So microphone in here, this box attaches to it. And uh, what we do is we really just listen. And wh- everything will download from that box uh, onto a flash drive. So I can program it for a certain time at night uh, for certain frequencies. And basically I take that flash drive, I put it into a server, it cleans it up, and I get sent back these 1.7 second blocks. And what I do is I look at the shape of the call and the frequency of the call, and I'm able to, with about 85 90% accuracy, identify the individual species. Now, so you're is, listening to them at night. And there is a whole world out there that we have no idea that surrounds us. So, Brian, uh, if you use night vision goggles, can you see bats? We actually put up a bat house at a gentleman's property off of Kanapaha Prairie. And what was wild is he had some IR cameras. And what he was doing is he filmed this, too. This is a video we need to put back on our Facebook page, which Luby's all over social media. You can find us on Luby.org. We're on TikTok with, like, 200,000 uh, followers, which is crazy. Facebook, uh, um, Instagram, Twitter. But we had this video on our Facebook page. And anyway, he was looking at this thing right in the camera. And as soon as those bats were ready to come out, that thing lit up bright red. So we're watching a time clock here. That color of red is what we saw on that infrared camera. So it was amazing. You see these, these, cam- these bats come out and then kind of pause, and then the IR camera gone again, and you just see this fire come out. So it was really cool to see that. He had some pretty high-tech equipment. So I, I will talk with our social media folks, get that back on there for folks to see, because it's really, really cool. Well, I I'm really enjoyed our conversation today, and I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And I hope that our uh, listeners and viewers have uh, learned a lot. Meldon Law and Friends, you can uh, check us out on Meldon Law and Friends Facebook page, YouTube, uh, 37 different audio uh, platforms, just about any place that uh, you get your podcast content. We're available. Uh, Brian Pope, uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. And thank you all for listening and uh, watching Meldon Law and Friends. And we'll be back next week. Tuesday at...